Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. All right, I was recently listening to episode 153. I think the title there was what? Do you remember? Well, I, yeah, I think I do. Let me see. Um, but hold, hold on. Like you just kind of you just kind of started talking like it's normal for you to be here. You, this is a pollster sighting. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I was listening to this episode and it talked about starting with the other person. So I wanted to start with you and tell you that you're wrong <laughs> and have a thoughtful discussion about why you're wrong. <laughs> That's so thoughtful. Uh, so 153 is called understanding non-christians there we go and it's great to have johnny on the podcast yeah yeah so um i was listening to it on my i was listening to it on my walk to lunch the other day and there was a section towards the end where you talked about writing our own stories and you completely disparage the notion that we write (laughs) our own stories (laughs) yeah (laughs) just just discarded it (laughs) And I was like, wait a minute. That's, I'm all about writing our own stories. I think we write our stories all the time. And I think that we're total victims when we don't. So okay. what's up with this notion that you don't think that we can... I mean, the example you gave, I think, was something like, I'm going to write my own story and say that I am have a million, that I have lots of money and I'm never sick and all this other stuff. And mm-hmm. that's not exactly what I would think of in terms of writing my own story, but... Um, I would think of writing my own story as, as being very intentional. So anyway, I asked you the question and then I kept talking. So <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> that's a coaching party foul right there. <laughs> Dude, two minutes for John. He's in the dock. Um, okay. So I, we're, I think we're using this in two different senses. Um, so, well, my sense well, is the generally understood correct sense. So. <laughs> is that so? All right, all right then. This is this is going well. Um, <laughs> so I, I would agree with you in terms of it's the generally uh, understood sense, but I think what tends to happen with this notion of um, writing our own stories is often we find I've experienced people who have this view. And they will basically say things like, um, I am the way I am, and I am where I am, and I couldn't have been anywhere else, and nowhere else would be better than this. And so... So like the, the, the idea that whatever happened is what was supposed to happen? And is good. Yes. And, and my, my thought on that is, that's ridiculous. You know, and I, and I think what... In other words, what comes out of this notion of writing our own stories for certain people, and I think it's it's easy to fall it's easier to fall into this trap than not, which is part of my apprehension about it. And I, and I just don't think that it's it's a good way of phrasing it. It's very nebulous. It makes it seem like something it's not. Um, and and the, the reason also I'm talking about this is that it's or you know that I'm interested in it is that this is very big. Uh, the idea of identity and how identity is formed, and what are the components. Uh, what are the things we can do with identity? And we can we can claim reasonably to kind of um, uh, be part of our process or 
be something that that actually is viable for us as human beings? And what are the things that just are outside of our reach? So when it comes to certain folks who hold this view of uh, writing your own story, what I find is um, it becomes quite counterfactual. There's nothing in, in other words, um, they want so much for the story to work out for their sort of ownership and their their guidance and oversight of their own lives to be um, strong and they want to be in control that they end up calling things that I think are really questionable good. Maybe even some things that are really just downright awful, necessary. And my thought is, no, I don't think so. Let me really clear. So when I say I'm writing my own story, mm-hmm. I'm coming from a perspective of, and it's aspirational. Mm-hmm. I'm setting out to, quote, write my own story in the sense that uh, I want to live in a ter- certain way. I want to have a certain lifestyle. I want to help people in a certain way. I want right. to have and do certain things. And I would look at this kind of like way of writing my story as saying, I'm intentionally living in the direction of these things. And that's right. me writing my story. And if it doesn't happen, well, didn't happen. Like right. either I didn't get up early enough and I dropped the ball or... um there was, a natural, the <laughs> there was a natural disaster or yeah. um, any number of things happened that thwarted this thing that I was mm-hmm. um, pursuing. Mm-hmm. But I see that in sharp contrast to, say, somebody that is not writing their story. In other words, they're, they're just kind of aimless. They're not really shooting for anything. They are just kind of... Mm, surviving. Right. Okay. Yeah, no, that's helpful. Um, and I think we align on a lot of levels. Uh, so what I would say, I would break this down. Um, my approach is basically about in terms of identity. So I see story and narrative when it comes to who I am, what I've lived, what I'm, what I'm shooting for in the future. It's all about my identity, right? At the, at the, at the, at the most core level. It is about what I want to achieve, but it's mostly about who I want to become, right? Not just doing things, but being a certain sort of person. So why couldn't that be part of the story that I'm trying to write too? I think that it is. Uh, let me let me break it down a little bit. So I okay. see three elements involved here in what I would call narrative identity. The first one is your history, the real events that really took place in the past. You were born in a certain place, raised in a certain family. Uh, you went to certain schools. Now, of course, with even within that history, there's a lot, there's lots of room for interpretation, right? You, you might have a, a sibling, maybe even a twin, who experienced many of the same things you did, and you're, you're going to have different takes on some of those things. And I, I think that's fine. But what I'm saying is, there are real events that took place in the past. They require interpretation, but they're really there. They really did happen. And then out of that those real events, we have what I would call, and I'm using kind of more technical terms because I want to, in English, it's a little bit fuzzy. We talk about history and history. Well, one is the things that really took place. And the other is the stories that we write and tell about those things, even if it's our own personal history. So I make the distinction between history, which is the real events, and historiography, which is the story that I write about them. Uh, right so you would say, so. so for you, writing your story is... It's like, it's the autobiography that you would write 
versus the aspirational way you want to live your life? Uh, yes. And I keep adding to that autobiography as I get older, as time goes by and things fall, you know, the, the, the present moves into the past as it were. But I also think there's another component. So there's three components. One is the history, the real events in the past. The other is the historiography. And I, I'm the, I'm the guy that writes that. And that, that's a writing thing, right? And I literally have in my life, at least because of some of the complexities and dysfunction in my family and all this stuff, I've written a lot of this out because <clears throat> it's helpful. It's helpful to me to, to actually go through the process of writing it and then act then to, to read what I've written. Writing say, it out or writing it down? Because when I hear write out, I hear remove. Oh no, I mean writing it down. I've, I've written it out on paper. Got it. I've typed it out in a file. It's, it, a lot of this stuff exists in Word documents across my computer. And then the third piece though is your personal story, right? And this is what I would say, this is where I have the issue. This is the present. And I don't think I write anything in the present. I, I make decisions. I say, you know, I want, to, I want to move to Canmore, Alberta, which is where I currently live. So two and a half months ago, that was a project that I had. And then I act to bring about that project, right? So I'm the actor. People say, hey, so what you up to? And I say, well, actually, I'm planning a big move and I'm really excited about it. And, and this part, in that, in that way, I'm not only the actor, I'm also the, actually the audience because part from what I see, and again, this isn't just my thinking on this, this is a lot of kind of um, uh, philosophical discussion about the notion of identity and the components that are there. But there's this audience-like role that I play when I listen to myself tell other people stuff and I get the benefit of them so I get the benefit of hearing me say it out and saying, ah, oh, that sounds a little funny. Or maybe that sounds really good, or that sounds tricky. And then I get the benefit of them talking back to me, right? So I might say things to you and you might be like, oh, wow, so how are you going to handle this? Or, wow, that sounds really exciting here. Or, um, you know, that sounds like a really big job over there, right? And so what I'm trying to do in this process of, of acting and sometimes being the audience and like, hearing myself you know, and sometimes I just say it to myself. I'll talk out loud to myself or write stuff down in a journal. And that's kind of, you know, that process of getting straight on what you're doing, getting straight on what your intentions are and your goals, or maybe how it's working out or not working out. Hey, speaking, speaking of talking to yourself, do you ever refer to yourself by name? <laughs> when I'm mad at myself, yeah. <laughs> no, I, so there's this uh, personal productivity guy I follow. His name is Brendan Bouchard. And he okay. just wrote a book about, it's some book about habits, habits of the most successful people in the world or something. Anyway, he was on this interview and he was talking about how we often talk to ourselves. And he mm -hmm. talked, based on the research that he did, he found that really successful people talk to themselves, but also call them out, call themselves out by name. Yeah, I think that's that calling out by name. Yeah, I do that a lot. And, but, 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 but kind of in an inspirational way. Oh, really? Okay. So, I, maybe so, so he was talking about, you know, how he was, he was going on, he was going to be interviewed by Larry King or he was going on some big thing. And so he had a conversation with him. I'll say, you know, Brendan, this is going to be a really important day. <laughs> like he was giving himself a pep talk, but he was using his name. Nice. And I've, I don't know, I've been playing with it. It's kind of interesting. So that jumped oh, out okay. at me. 
maybe I should try that a little bit more than just chastising myself by name. <laughs> oh yeah, no, yeah. Use it in the affirmative. The other thing yeah. that the other thing that jumped out at me, and this came from some work I recently did with a coach, the notion of autobiography. Mm. And I love the way that she put this, which was this idea that we've we've written a lot of times we've written an autobiography and then it becomes the source of truth for the way that things are and the way that things have to be. And we can yeah. get stuck in this loop of just yes. con constantly referring to this like almost outdated autobiography. It's not that it didn't happen, but it's not serving us. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, you've, you've written something at a time when you weren't the best writer. You, you you weren't as skilled as you as you are now in terms of interpreting things. Maybe you wrote like, and this is why I like the historiography idea because it's writing history. But you know, new facts come along. Yeah, and I'm totally good with that. Yeah, and I'm totally I'm, I, especially the whole interpretive thing. Like I like the, the example that you used of, you know, a, a twin or a sibling observing the same situation and having two different perspectives that are both true. Yeah, and I would also go so far as to say. Maybe, I'd, like, so example, when I wrote out my story, I've also passed it to my mentor. Now, he, he, he was not there while I was growing up. I met him when I was 25, 26. He knows nothing about the period I'm writing. He didn't even know me, didn't even live in the same country. But I passed it not only so that he could read it, but so he could critique it. You know, actually, Greg, I don't, I don't understand why you've made this association. I don't understand why you interpreted it this way. I don't understand, you know, this or this, or, or yeah, this really makes sense. Or I wonder if these two things that you haven't put together, well, I wonder if they actually go together in this way. And so I think that the whole process, again, of trying to understand oneself is something that I'm, I'm not the only person involved in. Well, and I like the way that you called that out in the last episode, or not the last one, but whatever the last one is when I was listening to it, which is 153, mm. which mm. was this whole idea of, of Christians doing this with other Christians. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, absolutely. Like I thought, I'm, I, <laughs> I thought, yeah, I can't remember a time when I've ever seen someone. Cause it just like you were explaining it, it just kind of gets the God card. Yes. Yeah. And you want to watch out for that. But I think we play that card that, that, that type of card or a, like a Trump card, we play it on ourselves too. Like as you were saying, when you've, you've got this autobiography or this historiography, this kind of a sense of yourself from the past, but you, you know, you weren't doing a really good job at fact collecting and, and maybe you weren't the best interpreter. And I, by, by being not the best writer, I don't mean that you weren't uh, good at writing or, or, or you didn't put sentences together with good grammar. I mean that you weren't a good interpreter or as good of an interpreter maybe as you are now. You know, and there's always that tension between, well, stuff happened in the past and there's there's memory, right? And then can I count on my memory and all of that? And that's an issue too. But you might be, a, as you get older and as you have more experience, and particularly as you bring in more people and, and give them access and rights, you have a right or an authority to speak back to me on this because I want your input. Our interpretation skills can increase generally through those types of things. So I guess the whole the whole piece that I'm moving towards, though, in terms of my personal story, that I'm I'm acting to move to Canmore. I'm that's my goal. I'm trying to make it happen. I, I I journal about it, so I'm talking to myself about it. I tell other people. They give me some feedback. 
But I am essentially, if you like, if we think about it as a story, I'm trying to occupy the narrator's position in my own life. Right? I don't get to write the story in the sense of determining what the events are. Right, you know? and you're also advocating that, that your writing is after the fact. Yeah, anything that I write down is after the fact. It's always still interpreted, but it's based on fact. But those facts, those hard, concrete things, I guess this is about the, the concept that human beings are both actors, we act in our own lives, and we are those who suffer. We suffer things that we never intended, we didn't want, some other forces brought about in our lives, and sometimes they're really crappy. And I think this is my real hesitation when it comes to people claiming that in the present, they're writing their own stories, as opposed to what I would say trying to narrate. Because I think what, I, what I've seen a lot, at least, is that there's a tendency amongst those who claim to write their stories, not in the way you're proposing, but in a very kind of control, controlled fashion, controlling way, there's a tendency to whitewash bad things. There's a t real tendency to, to whitewash the bad things that I do. You know, I screw up and I interfere with some of my best goals. You know, and this is part of the notion that um, I think that Christianity matters because, and it's valuable because it helps me become my best self. And sometimes it helps me do that despite my own, my actions that undermine my own goals. So what I hear you saying here is that we we are really great at letting ourselves off the hook. How does Christianity combat that? Well, I think it highlights that, right? It highlights that How? fact. Well, I think it, it draws us uh, an awareness that, that we act in ways that, that we're, if you like, uh, uh, fallible, you know, and hopefully by now I, I know I'm fallible, right? I make mistakes. I, we are uh, 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 finite. So, you know, I have a limited perspective. Just like when I said I, I get my mentor's opinion on my my historiography, I get I look for other people's opinions on what I'm doing now because I'm finite. I have from my perspective, looks like I'm going forward. This is my goal, and I'm going to hit it. And you might say, well, actually, did you think about this? Because this seems like a bit of a yeah a wild card you haven't accounted for. Okay, so that's finitude, and, and I think the last one. So this idea of uh, uh, finitude. Uh, there's also this idea of, I feel like, fallenness, right? So we are people who act in ways that undermine our own best interests. And I think the Bible, the Bible is just filled with this, like this whole idea of, um, yeah, sin and self-deceit. These are major themes in the Bible. And, and, and again, I think what often happens with Christians is they're misinterpreted into, here's the list of right things you do. And here's the list of wrong things. The wrong things are sins, and the right things are the things that God wants you to do. Easy. Well, no, that's not how it works. The idea is that uh, sin is failing to be in right relationship with God that then puts us in right relationship with ourselves, with others, with the world. And this self-deceit notion is the fact that I am not always the most trustworthy uh, source or, um, if you like, director 
of my own life, source for determining how, what I should do, and my director, director in terms of following through on what I actually believe I should do. So this notion of, of people saying that they're writing their own story, where are you seeing this? Like, are you seeing it in Christianity or are you seeing it other places? And if so, where? Yeah, both. Well, I would say something that my my spouse refers to as West Coast spirituality. So I remember being in Vancouver and this was everywhere. It was everywhere. And I just thought, how can you people be saying these things? You know, so I see it. I've seen it a lot in Vancouver. I do see it in Christian Christian circles too, where I think the, the, the biggest symptom of this is an immunization against critique. So I, I remember being in... Uh, but what is, how does this relate to writing your own story? Well, I, I think people are writing their stories in terms of telling themselves uh, part of the theme, the major theme in the story is, I'm a good person. I do things the way God wants me to do. Now, I'm taking the Christian, like a particularly Christian view on this, right? So in the Christian way of framing it, I'm a good person. I do the things that God wants me to do. I, you know, um, I, I follow through with my Christian obligations. When when a, a lot of what I've seen, and, and, and no, sorry, so let's take those, you know, I'm a good person. I do the things God wants me to do. I follow through on my Christian obligations. And I think what happens is that when these folks are pushed, so I remember being in my the church setting previously uh, that I was in and pushing people, they would resist the push and come back to these notions because they had a very rigid sense that they were in charge, ironically, not God, they're in charge of their story and they're doing the right things. And so when I'm calling them out, because this notion of their identity is so important to them, they have to write, essentially, they have to uh, construe the things that are happening, whether it's in a discussion we're having, whether it's a Bible study or whatever, as, no, 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 I'm right here, Greg's, Greg's, I don't know where Greg's coming from, but he's got some crazy, wacky ideas. And I think what, what again, it's it's down to, uh, an inability and unwillingness to hear critique because I have got to, if that story isn't correct, if I'm not actually um, being a good person by how I'm acting, if I'm not following through on my obligations to God, you know, if I'm not reading my Bible and uh, um, acting as a Christian should act, I'm in big, big trouble. Because, the, you know, I think there's a, there's a complete... Maybe that's too strong a word. Sometimes there's a near complete inability to think of another way to both allow the person to engage with the critique and say, huh, you know, maybe I'm not reading my Bible in the right way. And yet, oh, okay, I'm still okay with God. Things are still okay there. Right? So I think I think it's this particularly for for adults in a in a who have been Christians for a long time I think it's the tremendous fear uh, not only that um, if a critique of how they live or how they read their Bibles or how they think about God or how they interact with others is valid it not only says I'm not doing what I should be doing it also says, I may not have been doing that for years. I may have had a 
a, a, a very skewed idea, a fairly skewed idea, maybe a very skewed idea and a very skewed response and uh, embodiment of these ideas for a long time. And I think that's terrifying for some people. So what are you, you thinking? Mm, well, I think my original <laughs> objection, I think, I think of my original objection, it sounds like it's a, I want to call it semantics. My hunch is you don't like that, <laughs> but it's a semantic, it's a, it's a, I don't know. And I hear this a lot in the, uh, personal development, online marketing, like it, mm-hmm. uh, I think even Donald Miller has this whole notion of writing your own story, writing a new story. What do you want your story to be? Um, there's a whole thing around a storyline. I haven't done it, but I have some friends that have done it, really liked it found it mm-hmm. thought provoking and it was the whole idea of like what do you want your story to be what's the st- mm-hmm. what you know what story are you going to write mm. um so i guess i'm not totally following you or seeing in other words if you were to talk my hunch is if you were to talk to these people and say oh my gosh you're writing your own story here they'd be like no i'm not that's god's job like i don't write anything i just you know show up I don't interpret the Bible. I just read what's there. Yeah, that whole notion. So, <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. But I, I think this is one of the reasons why the evangelical church is is in the position that it's in with membership and, and adherence falling just rapidly. And then the church becoming increasingly sectarian. You know, you have this these ideas like the the Benedict option and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, man, this is crazy. These are crazy notions. Well, I think you've got this happening because people are, um, yeah, they're looking for answers theologically when a lot of the answers might be um, philosophical, they might be scientific. And this gets back to some of the things I've been emphasizing with the whole, with the integration project. Your faith needs to be integrated. There is a necessary relationship, even to put it in Christian terms, between creation and salvation. And if you don't see and uh, uh, embrace and try to even, I would say, foster those interrelations, you're, you're going to get stuck, right? If you're, if you're looking for an answer theologically, when really the issue is that you're simply not engaging with some of these ideas about, well, what is identity? How does it show up? Or maybe some of these ideas about self-deceit. What is it? How does it manifest? How do you deal with it? Right? The fact that the Bible is very has some information about self-deceit and some, I think, some key stuff and, and some stuff about identity too is helpful. But to think that the Bible is exhaustive on these topics is absolutely foolish. And I think Christians effectively do that. They effectively think the Bible's got all the answers from for them, they're just gonna search the Bible get a few verses, throw them together, and, and voila, you've got the answer. Well, if, you did, if that was true, we'd see some very different things happening in churches, I think. You'd see some much more compelling uh, Christian communities that would be able to engage with culture and with those who are outsiders to their viewpoints in ways that I think are much more, would be much more robust and much more um, productive. But I see just the opposite. Hmm. I becoming more sectarian. They're more out of tune, more out of touch. And I'm not surprised, right? I agree with you. I'm not sure how that 
getting through to those folks. But part of the challenge, I think, is at the, you know, the heart of what I'm trying to do again with the integration project is say, hey, you're going to have to understand your Bible from some of the real true things that exist in the world, just like you allow your Bible to uh, have input about, you know, what's happening in the world and how you should see, how you should live and how you should um, understand yourself as a human being. Are we at the end? <laughs> I don't really have any more thoughts. I hear pregnant pauses from you, and I'm thinking, I'm not sure what John is thinking. Yeah, I don't have any. Yeah. Well, let me let me add one comment, which is um, one of the major pieces that I have not been able to bring out from some of my graduate work is precisely in this area of identity and how, um, for some Christians, I mean, you you and I you remember this from um, not a fan, the idea that you have to make, diminish yourself so you can make more room for the Holy Spirit, which is basically saying my story, my identity is not important. What's important here is God, who God is and what God wants. And my thought is just the opposite. Um, Well, maybe not just the opposite, but that both are incredibly important. And this whole focus on identity and, and getting it better, much better than it's currently been understood and, and uh, promoted in the church, even if we don't use those words, right, is one of the key things that the evangelical church will need to do in order to move beyond where it's at now. And so, um, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to talk about this more. All right. We thought we were going to stop there. And then we were doing a debrief on (laughs) how the episode had gone or not gone. (laughs) And we ended up having a better conclusion. So here it is as our conversation continues. Yeah, and I, I kind of like I was being quiet there because I wondered if you've had if I had the, if I was having the sense that you were kind of letting me get away with something. I mean, not that I thought that I was no you know, playing out of bounds, but I wondered if you thought that I was and you weren't saying it. No, I think okay. if I think if I was thinking anything as we were talking, is it felt like the it felt like the subject kept changing. Okay, well that's hmm, maybe something there. Yeah. And so when I could see it was changing, I was calling it out. Right. And then other times, it was like a minute or two later, and I'm like, "How did we get here?" Ah, okay. That kind of thing. And I don't know. Maybe re-listening to it, you'll catch some of it too. I don't know. Yeah, it could be that the, I mean, I think the scope of this is really massive. And it's interesting that we haven't actually spoken about this in past podcasts, particularly as it's something that, you know, was part of the work that I did and I'm pretty interested in it. So maybe it's, uh, what might be interesting to do would be to do when you, when you talk about identity, it would be interesting. And I was going to ask you, but I didn't really go there would be what does that mean and where, like, in other words, build a case for it, build a case for it based on your understanding of whatever right. philosophy, uh, the Bible that, because there's this total cliche, total Christian cliche, total Christian cliche line, you know, my identity in Christ is whatever. 
like oh i've yeah, I, I, yeah. I have a thousand i like have millions of dollars of number of times i've heard that like my identity and it's like i find my identity in christ and it's like something you were saying in one of the recent episodes too it's like what does that even mean like uh yeah so so yeah it would be interesting maybe in one of your solo casts to talk about like just start at the beginning this is identity mm -hmm. This is where the notion comes from in philosophy. This is this is where we see the identity, the idea of identity in Christianity. And you know, here's the best presentation and case for it. Right. Well, you know what? And I oh, that, that's that's really a good point, John. That's really, really a good point. The whole identity in Christ thing, because I think it just it simply comes back to the fact that I am known more truly than I know myself, and I am loved more deeply than I love myself. That's it. That's it. And if we've got that, if that's something that resonates with you and that, that fits in either with your personal or indirect experience through testimony, then great. If that's something that doesn't, then I think that that's, that's one of those dislocated points where people are, are claiming something and, and wanting something, needing something to work, but, but they're kind of lost or it doesn't work or there's no content or the content is contradictory or, you know, well, and they would, yeah, and I think the whole identity in Christ thing, I would just kind of summarize everything I've heard and experienced of, it's, oh, I don't find my identity in me, because, you know, that's that's selfish, misdirected, I'm fallen, whatever. I find my identity in Christ. So, I don't find right. it inside of myself, because that's totally misguided. I find it in Christ, Right, and which for me, where you know, it's just like okay, but okay, now we're back to this like thing that I don't really connect with, that I don't really know how to relate to, that I, you know, I'm totally open to the possibility of existing, but do I experience on a daily, regular basis? No. So now, what do I do? Yeah, and I don't, I don't actually think that that makes sense. Like, I don't think that works. The whole idea of being, uh, you know, known and loved fully and rightly, is that you are able to become who you can most and best be. And that's totally about you. Like, I, I you know, <laughs> it's, in other words, it's like a cake or it's like something where, where all the ingredients add up to this. And then people say, no, it's not this, it's something else. So love, truth, the focus on how God seeks to engage with us, all these point towards the importance and value of your own personal identity as not only your way of connecting with God, but your way of expressing to others, like fulfilling the Great Commission, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Everything you want to do as a Christian hinges upon the notion of you having a robust and vibrant identity. And then to say, my identity has no value, tells me, A, you ain't getting it on the basic level. B, I'm not surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if you said your Christianity was not fulfilling. And C, when you try to go out there and do tasks as a Christian and you find that it's kind of like, I don't know, you're you're walking on an ice rink with boots rather than skates and you're slipping all over the place, not surprised. Like that's just those are huge warning lights for me, right? And we've never talked about it in this way in terms of identity, but I think this is massive. And then how do you work that out? Well, okay, if it's not the way that most Christians typically say that it is, what does it look like? On the theoretical level, yes, but also on the practical level. How does that work out day to day? Yeah, and even, like I said, and even coming back, like just starting at the very beginning, 
de- like defining mm-hmm. what is identity? What does it mean? How do yeah. yeah just starting there? That's a great idea. I'm on it. I actually dug out. I I did a presentation for a, a storytelling for oh, what was it called? Storytelling for social good. And I presented this, uh, the stories that we are, how we act, narrate, and tell our identity. And I've got like 12 pages written on it and I've got, that I presented to them and then I gave them a handout. Wow. I know, I've been sitting here forever. I've never done, I've never done anything with it. <laughs> Bring it in. I know, it's, I'm going to do it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Untangling Christianity podcast. A summary and resources for this episode are at our website, untanglingchristianity.com. If you'd like to join our private Facebook group or reach us by email, send your requests, questions, or even a simple hello to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is provided by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license.